mercy and peace be yours through the suffering and death of Jesus Christ, who died that you might live. Amen. As we noted, our two scripture readings for this morning deal at least in part with temptation. The first making it clear that God is never the source of temptation. God never tries to get someone to sin, which is what temptation is. God tests. Temptation comes always and only from Satan, or Satan working through one of his allies, the sinful world and our own sinful flesh. Our second reading reminded us that Jesus too was tempted by Satan, but it also gave us insight into how we can deal with it and are supposed to, which is using that power again of God's word. When Satan brings his lie, we are to reply, it is written. Our sermon text, too, for this morning further expands our understanding of temptation by revealing exactly what our God does not do and what he does do for his children. He does not tempt us, but at times he may tempt or test us. This is important to understand, as we'll learn in the discussion of this text, which is found in Genesis 22, the first 14 verses. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here am I. He said, Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come back again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, My father? And he said, Here am I, my son. He said, Behold, the fire in the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. He said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. 
And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, The Lord Will Provide. As it is said to this day, On the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. This is God's word. Confident not only of the origin or source of these words, but that that same God who gave and preserved these words to us would work powerfully through them also in our hearts this morning, so also we pray. Sanctify us by your truth, O Lord. Your word is truth. Amen. Test tempt natural consequences. Those are the three reactions, the three possible reactions, aren't they, to the things that happen to us in life, especially hardship. Those are the three things that we can assign as cause or reason for everything that happens. Either God is tempting us, the devil or one of his allies is tempting us, or it's just a result of natural consequences. To get a handle on this, start small and work your way up. So you get up in the morning, and you're still groggy, and you're, you don't have any extra time, you have to get to work, and stumbling into the bathroom, you brutally stub your toe on the leg of the dresser or the door jam or whatever. So what just happened? Is God testing you because he caused you to stub your toe? Is the devil using this to tempt you? Or is this just a natural consequence of not watching where you're going? The difficult thing here is that we are very seldom told in God's word exactly why something happened. We're, we're almost never, in fact, told. And in life, the same thing happens. Obviously, we don't have a word that says, if this happened to you on, pick the day, therefore it means this. So we have those three, those three options. God testing me, Satan tempting me, is this just a natural consequence? So what do you do with that? Since you can almost never ascribe something to that, you can't say, okay, that's why that happened, now I get it. That's the first part of our lesson for this morning, indicated in our text. Since we can't no cause, what God directs us to do is focus on our reaction. It should be self-evident, but it isn't. Because the, one of the most common things when something, especially something bad happens, is Christians want to know why. Why did this happen? Now, it's hard to 
get ourselves excited about this when it's something so trivial as stubbing your toe, although at the time that can sound bad. But now escalate. That is what we said, work your way up. Now instead of just stubbing your toe, you're on your way to wherever and you're hit by a drunk driver and you're paralyzed for life. Now it's not so academic anymore, is it? Now you desperately find yourself wanting to know why. Why did this happen? It's an interesting question that almost never has an answer. We don't know if God is using this to test me. We don't know if Satan, who can't, he doesn't have miraculous powers like God, but is he the one behind this and using this to try to tempt me and destroy my faith? Or is this, was this just a natural consequence of somebody being inattentive or drinking too much or whatever? See, in all these things, and it suddenly becomes more serious than when we think in those terms, in all of these things, since we cannot know cause, we can know and therefore should focus on our reaction. And there we do have guidance. There we can know. Because Scripture makes clear that whatever happens and whatever we do, we are supposed to react in a holy, non-sinful way. Now, in some things, that's, it's self-evident. If something happens to us, Scripture says, leave revenge, leave vengeance to me. So we know that that's a positive thing. We know that that's what God, part of what he wants to see in us as our reaction. It might be simpler than that. So with your stub toe, maybe just learn from it. Watch where you're going. Be more careful. It's sort of the mantra of grandparents, the mantra of grandparents, isn't it? Oh, my goodness. I don't know. When I was a parent, I never worried about it. Kids are running around now. They're going to run into the basketball hoop. I know it. Dong. Yep. But with grandparents, you're just intent on preventing all that. So we constantly are saying, especially to one of ours, one of our boys, I call him the bulldozer, because he just plows around and just periodically, donk, oh, watch where you're going, be more careful. Okay. So maybe it's just that often. Maybe we're just supposed to learn from this. That's the best we can take because natural consequence, we were careless. Boom, okay, learn from it. Try not to do that again. But when the event is more significant, more traumatic, then the lesson is probably more than just be careful next time, try not to do that. But what is, in a general way, then our reaction is supposed to be other than that? Since there's almost never a clear answer as to why, we know that our reaction is supposed to always be, again, something positive. God doesn't toy with his children. He may allow something to happen that is extremely painful or dis unpleasant, disappointing, frustrating, 
But we know that he promised that he will make all things work together for good. So our job is to react positively in a way that's pleasing to him. You've seen that in others, probably have seen it in yourself, but you probably don't recognize it in yourself as readily. I've seen people with crippling diseases react by giving glory to God. They're, they're getting poison dripped into their veins every week to combat this disease. And yet they're talking joyfully to the person in the cubicle next to them about their hope and their confidence in their God. And how we don't, I don't know why, but I know my God loves me. So that's the first part of this message as we now deal with the text itself. Since we cannot ever or almost never know the reason, we focus on cause, and there we do have guidance. So with that, we turn to our text for this morning, which takes the general discussion to a whole different level because, first of all, I am fairly confident that no one here has ever been tested like this. It's also unique, by the way, in that this is one of the few cases in God's Word, therefore in life also, where we are explicitly told why something happened. We're told God tested Abraham. That's, that's rare. So that in part is what makes this unique, but it goes deeper than that. It's even harder. It's even a more fascinating in a, in a scary sort of way account for several reasons. It's one thing for you and I to deal with something that happens to us, isn't it? I mean, that can be difficult enough. But now think of this scenario with Abraham where God didn't call on him to bear up under a strain. He said, I want you to do the thing that will cause you untold torment. Do the thing to yourself that will be crippling in every way to you forever. That's unique, isn't it? And we begin to get a measure of Abraham's faith from several things if we look carefully in our text. First of all, notice that in our text, God said to Abraham, go sacrifice your son. And we read, immediately the next morning, he did it. He saddled his donkey and took his servants and went. He not only obeyed, he obeyed immediately. The next morning, first thing. And then don't miss the added torment of this because it wasn't as though how do, you, how do we tend to take bandages off? We, we don't slowly pull them off. We just try to distract somebody and pull it off quick, right? Did you see in our text three days? Abraham went early in the morning, and it wasn't until the third day that he got to his destination. Put yourself in that position. You're walking with your beloved son. And for three days you walk, dreading what's going on, yet Abraham did it. 
kept going. Can you imagine the doubts that must have assailed Abraham? How could he be sure that this was God telling him to do this and not the devil masquerading as God? He was. And then infinitely more complex was that he was not just demanding of him or telling him to go kill his beloved son. He was telling him to go and kill God's promise. Because Isaac was the son of promise. That's how he's known in God's word. In other words, not only was he the son that came after Abraham and Sarah had passed the age when people normally have children, and therefore special in that way, he was also the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham that through your descendant, your direct descendant, Isaac, your, first of all, your descendants will be as uncountable as the stars in the sky, as the sand on the seashore. God had promised that. And now God was saying, kill that promise. Go and destroy your only heir. More than that. Because it's always more than that in God's word, isn't it? More than that, it was go kill the gospel promise itself. Because it was through Abraham that God had promised to send the Messiah. Through his direct descendants, therefore through Isaac, and God said, go kill Isaac. And Abraham did exactly what God said. The measure of faith here is astounding. How could he do that? On what did he hang his hopes? Remember, he couldn't know why. He could only know that reaction is what he could control. How did he react? His reaction wasn't to doubt God, to suddenly decide, I'm going to find another God, a God who won't give me a promise and then tell me to break it, a God who won't give me a son and then take him away from me, I have a God who can be trusted. And the last measure of his faith to me is demonstrated in his reply to his son. The second part of our theme for this morning. Dad, the wood, the fire, the knife, where's the sacrifice? God will provide. By the way, uh, don't miss the faith of Isaac here. I remember as a youth growing up and seeing those pictures of this young sprout. I forget the study, but the, the chronology says that uh, by this time, Isaac was a big strapping man. And his dad was an old, old man. There is no reason to doubt that Isaac could have overpowered dad, but Isaac evidently allowed himself to be bound and went along with it. So in, his, in this tremendous display of faith, Abraham seems to have focused on his reaction rather than contemplating the cause or the reason. I simply obey. I trust. 
And the key again is his simple statement, God will provide. This was the rock on which Abraham must have rested all of his hopes. God promised. God keeps his promises. He cannot do otherwise. God will keep that promise. Mine is just to do what he tells me to do. That's the reaction open to me, to obey. Now, again, in every part of God's word, we're missing badly if we imagine that this is just an interesting story or even an inspirational story. It's always more than that. And it's always more than that because all of God's word points to one thing, always. Jesus Christ and him crucified. So we miss this, the depth of this account, when we miss Christ. And where do we see Christ here? Some wrongly look at Isaac. Well, Isaac, the innocent son, who was to be crucified, but Isaac wasn't crucified. So we know we look elsewhere and we find Christ, we find the picture of Christ in the ram, of course. The ram that was sacrificed instead. But there's more to this account. There's more to personalizing this than just, oh, yeah, that's right, that's a picture of Christ. There's more to God will provide. You see, we won't gain the full insight into, import into this account until we see ourselves first as Abraham. As Abraham, are we called on to do the unthinkable to earn our forgiveness, to earn our salvation? What if that were God's plan? That I will require of every human being that he does something unimaginably horrible. Could any of you who have children imagine God telling you to take your beloved child and sacrifice him and then you can get to heaven? But God didn't. God provided. So first see yourself as Abraham. God didn't require that of me. God provided and next year, Isaac, we bound ourselves with the chains of our sin, and we were lying hopeless, helpless on God's altar, rightly getting what we deserve. We deserve, because of our sin, to be sacrificed. The wages of sin, that is what we have earned because of our sin, is that death. And so there we are in this account, bound, helpless, hopeless, about to be sacrificed. And God provided. In a most ironic way, didn't he? Abraham, you don't have to kill your son. I'll kill mine. So when you're faced with hardship trials, things in your life that are anything but pleasant. Remember, you can't know. Almost can you ever, you can almost never know 
why. But you can know how God wants you to react, trusting Him. Because He kept that ultimate promise. When it came to our unpayable sin debt, God paid it for us. God provided. God will provide as you trust in Him. Amen.